Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. 1 Samuel chapter 16. In 2 Timothy 2, 21 and 22, Paul writes, Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, that means set apart, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And so there's a time of consecration, and it would appear that Samuel watches over this time of consecration for the sons of Jesse, and he makes sure that things are done correctly and properly. But there is something interesting that jumped out at me when I was studying this week, and it's simply this. David was not consecrated. When all the sons pass before the prophet and none of them are the king, Samuel says, "Uh, you got anybody else? (laughs) Any other kids? Oh yeah, there's the youngest. He's out tending the sheep. He was not part of that consecration ceremony, but it didn't matter because God had already set him apart. Amen? God's purposes will be done. See, there's a, there's a greater consecration than just giving something up. There's a lot of religious people that during certain weeks and months of the year, they do things. And maybe they have the right heart, maybe they don't. But look, consecration is much deeper than just giving up food or something else. Consecration is about a life dedicated to God. Whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I do it, what? For the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. And so, uh, I'm not sure where they are. I don't know if there's a sanctuary in Bethlehem where this sacrifice takes place or there's some sort of meeting place, a home. But notice it came about, this is verse 6, when they entered, that he looked, the Hebrew word is ra'ah, at Eliab and thought, surely the, the Lord's anointed is before him. Now why, so automatically now, the sons start to pass, right? And uh, Jesse's got a notion that something's going on with his kids, right? I want your kids to be at this thing, okay, you know, I don't know what other talk's going on, but the firstborn Eliah begins to pass by. And right away, Samuel, and he, has, he doesn't know who it is yet, but he thinks this has got to be the guy. Why does he think that? Well, if you look at verse 7, it says, that he had looked at his appearance in the height of his stature. But wait a minute. <laughs> Didn't he learn the lesson from Saul? Saul was the best looking dude around and he was head and shoulders above everybody else. But he was the wrong choice. And Jesus in John 7:24 says, "Don't judge by just mere appearances, but make John 7:24 a righteous judgment." The Bible doesn't say not to judge. It just says don't judge hypocritically. Take the log out of your eye before you look for the speck in your brother's eye. Amen? And it says don't judge by mere appearances, but make, John 7, 24, a right judgment. You make judgments every single day. The whole uh, don't judge me, brother or sister, is just a facade. It's, just, it's not true to what Scripture says. 
Scripture just warns not to judge hypocritically, not to judge with a log in your own eye, and not to judge just by mere appearances. But you have to make judgments every day. In fact, you're commanded to make righteous judgments about your friends, about what you're going to do on Wednesday night, and you have chosen the better part. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Amen? Amen? Amen. About who you're going to marry, where you're going to eat. Some of you take huge steps of faith every day by where you eat. But, you know, if if you live, then you've made a righteous judgment. Anyway. (laughs) So... Eliab's name means my God is father. And Samuel, here's key uh, phrase here. He looked on, literally he saw Eliab and he thought, oh, surely this is the one. He's tall, he's good looking. This is certainly the man God desires to anoint, but he wasn't. You see, sometimes our perception of leadership is if they're tall, actually that's not a requirement. (laughs) Shouldn't even be. Shouldn't even be a consideration. That's why they make platforms right here. Never mind, I strike that from the record, would you? We can say, well, the, the person's good looking or they can speak well. Think about your Bible. How many times did God choose those people? He chose the unexpected, the, the people that nobody thought would be the one, the, the people that were surprised that God would, would even uh, select them. I've told people over the years that, you know, people sometimes, they'll come to a pastor and they'll say, oh, pastor, I feel so inadequate to do what I believe God's calling me to do. And I finally, well, one of the first things I say to them is good, good. That's actually the first requirement for ministry is to feel inadequate. Now, you don't want to walk around like, oh, for years, you know, but if you can remain with a healthy um, amount of inadequacy, you will rely on God more. And I think that's sometimes why he picks who he picks because he knows if he picks people who think they've got it all together, then maybe they won't be as reliant upon him. Eliab is something of a new Saul so that in Eliab's rejection, Samuel can see that he's not seeing things the way God has told him to see. He's going to repeat a pattern. He's already made a mistake. And even though God had pointed out that Saul was the one, God's saying, no, you've got to change your your view. But the Lord said to Samuel 7, do not look at his appearance or the height, at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance. But the Lord... He looks at the heart. You see, God gave Samuel a new perspective. It was time for Samuel to see as God sees. And that is one of the main underlying applications of this chapter. Is that God is trying to teach us to see how he sees. He does not judge by mere appearance. My way of seeing, one way to render this, is not like man's way of seeing Or literally, I am not as man sees. God's point of view in the end is all that really matters. Would you agree? I mean, I can give you my point of view. Somebody else can make a clever argument for their point of view. 
We're arguing moral issues in the culture. There's debates. You hear one argument, you say, that sounds good, and then somebody else makes a strong argument, and you go, wow, that's compelling. Sometimes it's filled with emotion. Sometimes it's filled with feelings. Sometimes it's filled with medical research. But in the end, as a Christian, how can you ferret through all this stuff? It's very simple. You've got to see what God sees. That, in the end, is all that really matters. Because we're all going to take our debates to the grave, and God's going to give the final answer. And the church, sometimes I think, is a little more beholden to the winds of culture than to what God's word says. And so God is the one who sees the heart. He sees into the heart that can make you very uncomfortable or it can give you some great uh, delight. He doesn't look at appearance or height. Praise God, he looks at the heart. If you look at 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, when it talks about the qualifications for elders, it, uh, just about every qualification is about character. The elder must be able to teach and refute those who uh, do not have sound doctrine, but other than that, every other characteristic is about character. It's about how you behave, how you act. So this is God's qualification. God cares about your heart. Look at verse 8. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Now, I don't know if Samuel was talking to himself for a while or if he's making announcements as they pass by, but he seems to be getting on God's plane. Do you know how sometimes that happens? Like for a while, you just don't see things God's way and, and then you see one issue God's way and then you go, oh, that makes sense. And now you're just kind of flowing with the Lord. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's how you see. That's how God works. Sometimes things seem so strange to us, but we get on God's page and we understand. He says, well, it's not this one. And next, Jesse made Shema. The Hebrew Shema is that famous prayer. And his name may, may mean to hear. He made Shema pass by. And, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. <laughs> I mean, the first three, you'd think, well, it's the eldest son will be chosen, right? No. Now here's the second born. He comes by. No. If you look at uh, chapter 17 for a second, look at verse 13. You can see that these are the first three in the family. Uh, 1713. And the three older sons of Jesse had gone after Saul to the battle. The names of the first three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, the second to him was Abinadab, and the third was Shammah. And uh, you'll notice it says in verse 14 that David was the youngest. So the first three passed by, nope, nope, nope. And um, they keep on passing by. In fact, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. None of them are his choice. Interestingly enough, if you look at the three names of the sons that pass by, their names in order are God is my father, Eliab. He is noble, or God is noble, is uh, Abinadab. And Shema is he hears. And if you put the three names together, it's something like this. God is my father, he is noble, and he hears. Interesting. And so seven sons. Seven is an interesting word in the uh, number in the Bible. In fact, there's uh, 
a parallel scripture that says that David was the seventh and not the eighth. There's a little debate among scholars. Was he the seventh or the eighth? And we can go back and forth, but some think that there's some language in here that the ancients saw a connection between the seventh and the eighth. And it would be interesting if David was the seventh because seven is the number of completion or perfection. Uh, I have the scripture in my notes. If I, if I come across to it, I, I'll give it to you. But Samuel's saying as God sees. So Samuel said to Jesse, verse 11, are these all the children? And he said, it's almost like an afterthought. Well, there remains yet the youngest, and behold, he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. I don't know if that means we're not moving on from this place, or if it means we're not going to eat. They may be all waiting to have a feast. Isn't it annoying when you have to wait for somebody? Everybody else is ready. Where is so-and-so? He's on his computer. (laughs) Well, tell him to hurry up, or we're going to eat without him. The youngest. And there's David in Bethlehem, overlooked by men, but not by God, watching over the sheep. And there were shepherds watching over their flocks by night. And when the announcement came that this great one, this great king had been born in this city, it was an announcement made to shepherds. And so um, he says, well, go get, go get this little, this youngest one. I don't know how young David is at this point, but the implication is he's a pretty young guy. He may be an early teenager. And Jesse, dad says something like this. Ah, oh yes, there's one more. He's the littlest guy. Maybe dad thought something like this, but surely he can't be the one. Maybe we need to ha- let him pass by. Let, let's let the other sons pass by again. Maybe, maybe you're missing something, prophet. No. God had the one in mind. He was already consecrated before this lineup occurred. God has a plan for your life. He's already prepared good works beforehand from eternity. Your job is to walk in them. How are you doing? Brethren, consider your callings, says Paul, 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. That there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. The base, base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not that he might nullify the things that are. That no man should boast before God. But by his doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Well, we can't get things moving until this kid comes, so let's go get him. And so he sent, we're going to end at verse 13 tonight, and he brought him in. Now he, that is David, was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him for This is he. Another way to put it is, he's the one. It may have shocked everybody in the room to know that David was the one. The word ruddy actually means reddish brown. Some people have concluded that David had red hair because of this description. Others say that the possibility of the Hebrew here is that he had a bronze complexion, that he was 
Italian Jewish. <laughs> it's the way I personally lean. <laughs> Olive skin, you know. So, I don't know what the room was like at that moment. I don't know what the brothers were thinking, how they reacted, how shocked dad must have been. Him? Yeah, he's, he's the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil. And imagine being David. David, you haven't been part of any of this. All you, you've been out in the field. You've been taking care of the sheep. You, you went through no consecration. How much of an idea does he have? How spiritually mature is he at this point? And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And David would write, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. And he goes on to say, He anoints my head with oil. Listen to this. My cup overflows. And right after this anointing, it's pretty amazing because the Holy Spirit rushes upon David and you start thinking of Psalm 23 and you go, wow, this is a beautiful moment. And in the midst of the brothers, maybe he's in the middle of a circle, the prophet's got the olive oil in the ram's horn and he anoints him. And the spirit of the Lord, which oil uh, is a representation of the spirit of the presence of God permeating a life, permeating the pores, if you will, of a life mightily. He came mightily upon David from that day forward and Samuel arose and went to Ramah and Samuel anointed him, which literally could be rendered, he messiahed him. He, uh, the messiah is the anointed one, the Mashiach. And so David gets this anointing in a place called Bethlehem. And so you begin to track Bethlehem, and it's where Rachel died. It was known as a place of death, but it became a place of life. It's where the book of Ruth unfolds, the story of the kinsman redeemer. Um, as you read that book, you see the beauty of that picture pointing to Jesus Christ. He's the redeemer who bought you back with his own blood from death. You can see it in 1 Samuel 16 that Jesus is your leader. He's been anointed as God's king to save us and deliver us from all our enemies. And we will see very quickly in this book how he takes on Goliath and takes him down for the sake of a nation. And then he came so you would be full. Think of Bethlehem. It's the, the house of bread and fruitful, which is the name Afratha. He came so that you might be full and fruitful. This is the purpose of Christmas. And this is why Jesus came. If I can leave you with Luke chapter 2, if you turn there. Luke 2. These are the purposes of God, and it's majestic how he works. And so hold on, saint. Whatever you're going through, he's going to show you the way. So look at Luke 2, verse 4. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city, Luke 2, 4, of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family of David. If you skip down to verse 8. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. 
an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them. The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came in haste and they found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at these things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her her heart. And the shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. Father, thank you for the great gift of the greater David, Jesus Christ, our Messiah, Savior, Lord. Thank you that he is the anointed one, the Mashiach, the one who came uh, with the anointing of God to preach the good news to the captives, to set free those who were in prison, to open the gates, to make the way possible. Thank you that the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures pointed the way to this one who would come, this great king who would have your heart and do your will. Thank you that he's pictured in David, but thank you that he came. He's the greater David. He rose from the dead in the very history in which we live to bring us life and that more abundantly. He's the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down his life for his friends. Lord, thank you that we are your family tonight. Many precious saints that are here that I know lean upon you and depend on you every day. And I pray that these scriptures would have encouraged and blessed and challenged. And um, I think tonight, Lord, brought more understanding about who you are. We don't come to the scriptures just to find application points. We come to know you better. Thank you that you've made yourself known in the person of Christ. In him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's the answer to every question we have. So with your heart and head bowed, whatever the Lord has spoken to you tonight, would you take some moments to do what the Bible says in the psalm, Selah, Pause, ponder, let his word minister to your soul. If you're not a Christian tonight, it's time to trust him. Trust in his cross and resurrection. Repent and receive him as your savior. Cry out to him. You don't have to have a perfect prayer. Make it official tonight. Maybe you're a prodigal and you've been wandering and you want to come back to this good shepherd. He'll he'll receive you gladly. If you're a saint tonight and you have an area of healing that you need or maybe an answer about a situation or maybe just you're perplexed and wondering about God's timing or this crazy world, I pray that his spirit would minister to you. 
So just take some moments right here. Stay in the Spirit. Let Him just speak to your heart. The assurance and the rest that He has for you tonight. Lord, thank you for your people. Bless and extend your hand to strengthen, encourage, heal, and bring us boldness to be your ambassadors in this generation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what do you do after you get saved? What do you do after you pray a prayer of receiving Jesus Christ into your life? Well, there are really four things that you should do now that you've become a Christian. You've done the most important thing by opening your life to Christ, repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus. But now you need to grow in your most holy faith. You need to find a place to grow. You need to be discipled because now you can expect some spiritual attacks from the enemy. And now you can expect that, you know, there's going to be a lot of areas in which you're going to need to experience growth and knowledge and help. And so the local church becomes a very important place for you to connect. And your growth is going to be dependent, at least in part, on the church that you choose. So let's start with the church. You need to find a healthy Bible teaching church. Try to find a church that teaches through the Bible in an expository fashion. What that means is they take chapters of the Bible and go through and explain the verses, not just simply 20-minute messages that are not grounded in the text. Look for a place that teaches verse by verse and teaches the, the Bible with some depth, explaining what passages mean. You need to connect to a good, healthy fellowship. The next thing is prayer. Prayer is a two-way communication with God, and we need to learn how to pray. That's going to take some time as well, but just praying and thanking God for the day. Praying with an open Bible is a good way to pray. Make sure your prayers are directed and informed by Scripture. So you have fellowship, you have prayer. Bible reading is very important. Think of the Bible as your spiritual food. There's an old saying, you are what you eat. And uh, we need the Bible to make us strong as Christians. It's our spiritual food. And just read a chapter a day. Pray before you read. Ask God to help you to get understanding. And then open your Bible and read it. And the last thing is share your faith with others. You have an immediate mission field as a new believer. You probably have a lot of unbelieving friends and family around you. Tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. And you can get help about how to share the gospel and use gospel tracts also from your local fellowship. If you need help finding a good, healthy Bible teaching church, hopefully we can help you with that. And so if you want to contact us through the website or call the church office, we'd love to give you some help in this new journey as a believer. Take it a day at a time and grow. Give yourself to fellowship. Bible reading, prayer, and sharing the gospel with others. And God will bless your life. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the Church tab. You can follow us on Instagram, at livingtruthcorona, or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.